Hello, welcome to the third broadcast in the Funds Fanatic podcast series. Uh, my name is Gavin Lumsden. I'm editor of Investment Trust Insider. And with me is uh, Daniel Grote, editor of CityWire Funds Insider. Dan, uh, it's good to catch up with you again. Now, we're going to be talking Hi, about uh, the uh, oil price, the historic plunge uh, into negative territory of, uh, of the US oil price this week which has been an amazing story. You're going to tell us a, a bit of the background in a minute, but it, it's kind of got me, confirmed my, 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 my suspicion that uh, index tracking is never quite as uh, easy uh, as it perhaps it should be, and particularly investing in uh, uh, exchange-traded funds, because uh, we're reading a very interesting story in the FT this week about uh, how one of the big uh, US ETFs has run into, into problems because it was holding... Uh, uh, a loss-making contract. Dan, you've been uh, looking into this. What, what's, uh, what are the problems that uh, these index tracking ETFs are having with uh, oil at this price? Yeah, I mean, I looked at the, you know, the, the same story that, that you did and, and, and had a look at what had been happening in, in the US. And actually, yeah, the picture in the US is, is pretty different to, to what we've seen in the UK. Um, uh, I mean, that fund is you know, a pretty huge fund, $4 billion in the US. I mean, it's you know, it, it is an ETF by name, but it's 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 not behaving in a particularly kind of passive way. It's um, now kind of moving to longer dated um, futures contracts uh, um, on the uh, West Texas intermediate oil price. Um, uh, there's been something similar actually in in Hong Kong, um, uh, an ETF run by uh, Samsung. Uh, you know, we, we we might know better over here as you know a mobile phone operator. There's you know they run their own fund as well huge conglomerates um yeah they've got an oil fund where they've um uh and it's it's a physical oil fund so they you know they, they do own uh, barrels of oil um but they're, they're, they're trying to track a, a particular index um and now they're sort of diverging from what that index would normally do so that they can move uh further along um uh you know by longer dated contracts so they're just getting further away from that kind of pinch point that we saw in dramatic fashion earlier this week uh, where oil prices fell to uh, you know they, they, they fell to negative prices because traders just were trying to get rid of oil so they weren't left holding it when the contract expired and then having to take delivery of it. Yeah can we write off that you know it's a great uh, remarkable uh, event and, and story but can we sort of write it off a little bit as a you know a technical situation uh, which you know won't recur again or what's what's it saying fundamental or is it saying something more fundamental about uh, the state of the global economy well i mean it is uh because um the pressures on the oil market are, are huge and a lot of it is down to do uh, down to the same sort of pressures that we're seeing across the um the, the global economy as a whole um so part of the problem that oil has is that there's just no demand for it at the moment because vast areas of the globe are, are locked down and you know people aren't traveling in cars people aren't using airplanes all the normal sort of uses that there would be for oil just aren't being um you know they don't exist at the moment um uh, there's oversupply and particularly in the case of us uh, oil uh, there's uh, issues around uh, where you store it. Store it. Um, so one of the differences between uh, US and kind of European Brent crude is Brent crude is seaborne, so you can transport it around to areas of the world where uh, where there is demand. Can't really do that with um, uh, American crude. It travels around in in pipes, and um, and if uh, you become one of the owners, then it gets transported to this place called Cushing in Arizona, in, um, in Oklahoma. Yeah, that, you know, that, that's an interesting distinction which I didn't appreciate. You know, it's got me thinking. You know, I'm looking at uh, investment trusts and investment companies, but um, and there aren't that many uh, that are you know directly exposed to, to oil. Um, although there's 
a lot that indirectly exposed. But one interesting play, and I, and I must confess, I haven't uh, spoken to them about it. It's something that kind of on my to-do list. But there's an interesting uh, investment company, I think you know as well, called Tufton Oceanic Assets, which launched a few years ago. And it, uh, you know, it owns, it owns ships, yeah. uh, cargo vessels, and it leases them out. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a property fund, it's asset-backed. And uh, uh, you know, it put out a trading statement a couple of weeks ago in response to you know, COVID-19 and, the, and the, the, the turmoil that's going on. And obviously with uh, global trade you know, going down big time, it, it doesn't look too good for, uh, for, for, for a Tufton Oceanic, which has a great uh, stock market ticker, by the way, very appropriate ship. Um, right. HIP. But uh, anyway, it just there was a, another story uh, today about how um, you know, there, there could be a benefit for uh, uh, tanker operators because they are being used. Uh, you know, all companies, traders are desperate to stall their uh, crude somewhere. So I'm wondering whether that's, uh, uh, in fact, I'm going to give them a bell. <laughs> I will I'll get soon. Uh, find out whether Tufton could be uh, uh, benefiting from that. But, uh, we'll, well see. yeah, I mean, because uh, I've, I've seen um, and I can't remember them off the top of my head, but, uh, you know, there has been a pickup in, in the shares of uh, the kinds of companies that, 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 that do that sort of thing, that run tankers, uh, because I guess that is that is one area of the oil market where there is, you know, the whole thing about oil is there's no demand for it. There's definitely a demand for tankers right now. Yes, exactly. So uh, how do you think, what, what do you think are the good ways to uh, play oil? I mean, is there more to say about trackers? Because, um, you know, my interest in trackers, I sounded a bit sort of dismissive uh, at the beginning, but, you know, they they're, um, can be a very efficient way of getting uh, market exposure. And when you get something dramatic like oil price slumping like this, you know, in a way, maybe you don't need to be too clever about uh, trying to... Uh, take advantage of it you could just try and um, buy the market exposure on the basis that it's going to turn around and go up eventually um but you know the experience that big us etf uh, had uh, you know does show that there are sort of technical issues what about uh, that, that that fund though is a, is a us fund what, what about you know in for uk investors what kind of trackers are there and um, are, are they are they any good well, I've been looking at this area a bit, and to be honest, I'd hoped to have written the piece before I did this podcast, but I haven't. But you know, it'll, well, you can, it'll, be, you can, it'll be a lot of time. You can front run it. Give us, yeah, yeah, quite. Um, so in the UK, um, and I was really looking at uh, uh, exchange traded. Well, actually, they're exchange traded commodities rather than funds. That's a bit of technicality. Um, that track the uh, the US crude price because I wanted to see what happened to them when prices went negative um uh, and actually if you look at them they didn't go negative um and the reason for that is that they weren't holding uh, it was the may contract that was the one that turned negative the other contracts uh where the uh, expiry dates are sort of further along uh, they they haven't turned negative mainly because it hasn't reached that kind of pinch point where uh investors are just desperate to get rid of it because they don't want to be left holding barrels of oil um, so the way they work, it does make you think, is this, is this tracking something or is this, you know, is this a market that can be tracked in the same way that, you know, we all know what the FTSE is and you can track that. Um, but yeah, and, you know, and every one, quarter, every quarter, the index gets uh, rejigged and the tracker funds have to adjust accordingly. Yeah. I mean, the danger is you get a bit too philosophical and, uh, you know, I don't want to pontificate about what is, what is the oil price, but there is, there is something to that in that, 
you know, I'm used to when I want to see what oil is doing, I look on the Reuters terminal and, and and you see the price and you just think that's what the oil price is. Well, you know, it is and it isn't because actually what uh, what that is, is the price of the near term kind of contract. Um, mm. And, you know, with, with the with the ETFs that I've been looking at, well, they, they haven't been tracking that one. So, uh, you know, when, when we had negative prices, they weren't going negative because their contract is, you know, one that, you know, in one case, it's um, the July contract. Uh, in another case, it's actually a contract for next year. Uh, so they haven't been affected in the same way. So, I mean, it's a good thing for those investors because they're not holding stuff that's gone negative. But are, are they yes. really tracking the market? All this makes me think these managers of these uh, ETFs, uh, they're, they're being more active than, uh, than you might think. They're not just following one index or getting in how to buy one contract. They've got... Uh, quite a bit of discretion about what, which ones they go for. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess uh, to some extent, some of them, they are just tracking an index, but then that index is making those kind of calls. And, you know, they are sort of active calls uh, because it's, you know, it's not like the FTSE where the FTSE, you know, the FTSE is the FTSE and, and you can track it. Um, oil, uh, well, it's, do you want this contract or that contract? And when are you going to switch? And how long will it take you to switch? And um, will you switch all in one go or is it, you know, a little bit by a little bit? So there's all sorts of decisions that um, you need to make when you're constructing an index and then tracking that index. Um, that does mean it sort of, it, it, it does involve a bit of discretion and a bit of kind of, well, I guess it's sort of active management. Um, but speaking of active management, um, what are kind of, you know, active funds uh, doing around oil and how much uh, have they been hit by what's, what's going on? I mean, I know um, what's happening in kind of, uh, the equity income fund sector, but but what what about what about investment trusts? There's a few aspects to this. I suppose the, the most obvious one is we picked up uh, on our first uh, discussion in episode one around UK equity income trusts, which are on the one hand, you know, the great hope, remaining hope for uh, income investors in the UK, because unlike uh, open-ended funds, they've got most of them have got substantial uh, revenue reserves, which means that even if they're, the companies they're investing in are cutting their dividends, you know, the hope is that uh, they, they should be able, most of them, be able to maintain their dividends, although it just depends how bad this dividend crisis gets. However, you know, this further fall uh, in the oil price and the pressure on the big uh, oil companies, BP and Shell in particular in the UK, you know, it, it, it is a problem. The sector as a whole, these U, this band of UK equity income trusts, um, has on average around seven percent of its assets in the in the sector in, in those in those stocks, um, and that's below that's what's you know underweight the FTSE all shares ten percent weighting. But nevertheless, there are some of them that have more than others, obviously. So um, you know Aberdeen Standard have got an equity income trust run by Thomas More, and you know that's looking quite exposed with eleven percent of the trust uh, invested in oil and gas. Um, but I think the one that is the most topical one and the one that's really under the cosh for a variety of reasons is Temple Bar. So there, it's got a, a near 10% uh, weighting to oil and gas. But the big thing that's hitting the shares at the moment is the fact that uh, the, the, the fund manager, Alistair Mundy, who's been running it since uh, you know, 2002, I think, it's a very long time, very well known, uh, you know, highly regarded value investor, but his style it has been out of out, out of favour for a very long time. Anyway, uh, last week it was announced that uh, you know he was going on sick leave, 
So um, we hope uh, he, he's okay. And the, his colleagues, two of his colleagues are taking over the trust, but the following day, the board announced that, um, you know, they, get, they, they, were, they served the fund management group 91, which used to be called Investec uh, Asset Management. They served uh, them 12 months protective notice. So, you know, in theory, uh, and they're holding a review, a, a beauty parade, uh, and they're going to be uh, looking for a, a new fund manager. They might go back to 91, but it's looking unlikely. The shares have more than halved this year, and it's, it's looking pretty ugly. I mean, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd echo sort of my best wishes to, to, to Alistair, you know, and that's something, you know, that, that's news that we've seen on, on the fund side as well. Um, you know, he had, he was running well, what was called the Investec Cautious Managed Fund, uh, the Investec UK Special Situations Fund, uh, UK Total Return, uh, and, and the, the, the same um, sort of passing over of management has, has happened um, as a result of his illness. But, but just going back to, to, to Temple Bar, I, I actually, I can't remember whether that's one of the, dividend heroes or not and just are any of the dividends we, we, we spoke about it um in our first po podcast but does the um the kind of the eruptions in in the oil market does that change the picture for any of the uh, of the heroes it, it doesn't right now yeah temple bar is, is one of those with these sort of multi-decade uh, long uh, uh histories of, of sort of growing their, their dividends um you know they've got these reserves and you know we know that many dividend cuts have been made uh, in the UK stock market. So what we don't know is just how bad or how long this is going to get. But the, the significance of, you know, this week's fall in the, in the oil price is that it's going to kind of add downward pressure, more pressure on boards to think, mm, you know, there's no point, there's no point paying a, a dividend or a rising dividend at all costs. And, uh, you know, if we get any more bad news like this, and I think we are going to see more trust, notwithstanding the fact they've got some reserves, but, you know, they might take the view that the world, you know, it, the recession is going to be so deep or it's going to go on for so long that there's uh, you know, no point in expending these reserves. You know, if they could see that it's a, a more short-term effect, then they'll try and ride it through. But if they think the world's changed, and that's the big question, isn't it? Then um, they might have to adjust their dividends accordingly it's worth underlining really that um you know with bp and shell if they did cut their dividends i mean obviously we've, we've seen a lot of dividend cuts from from the, the uk stock market uh, since um you know the coronavirus pandemic but those would be by far and away the most significant um shell's been the biggest dividend payer in the, on the uk stock market for ages um bp is actually going to become the second um because HS HSBC isn't paying its payout under pressure from the Bank of England. Um, so, uh, you know, and uh, the, the banking sector has been uh, the source of the biggest cuts so far, but, you know, they cut their dividends in the financial crisis. Shell hasn't cut its dividends since World War II, and BP hasn't since, uh, well, since 2010, um, when there's the Deepwater Horizon um, uh, disaster. But then you're looking at about a third of the UK's sort of projected payout leaving. Yeah, exactly. No, I've got some, I, I agree. I've got some figures as well. Uh, middle of March, uh, Shell was providing uh, over 12% of the uh, of, of UK dividends, BP uh, 7%. So that's 20% together. And, um, you know, that proportion will have increased, as you say, because of the banks and other cuts that have happened since then. So, um, yeah, we're, in t we're on tenterhooks, really. But uh, as to where, you know, what the investment trusts and, and funds will, will do. But there are other ways of, uh, of, of capturing it uh, in the, uh, there are other things going on in investment companies, if you want to know about them. 
Yeah, so I was good. To ask. So yeah, renewables. You've been looking at renewable trusts. Uh, well, bit. thank you very how much. Have they, how have they been affected by all this? It's really interesting because you know, these uh, renewables, to give them their full title, there's a, a, about half a dozen uh, big established uh, investment companies investing in renewable energy infrastructure. So you know, wind and solar farms, um, to put it sort of plainly. And you know, they're part of the renewable energy revolution, which means that an increasing proportion of our energy is, is coming from you know, carbon-free sources, which is great news. But um, they're, the, they, they make money, they make an income from uh, selling their green power uh, to, to the grid and to, to customers. Um, but that power is linked to gas prices and gas prices are linked to oil. And as all this is coming down, you know, they're finding that they're having to, um, you know, look at their, they're looking at the long-term power forecasts, which dictate how, what the, the revenue that they're earning and underpin their asset values. And, you know, this week we saw one of the biggest uh, renewables infrastructure group, or TRIG for short. Um, it announced that, you know, at the beginning of the year, that we'd seen uh, very big falls in uh, uh, long-term power forecast, power price forecast. But in the past month, you know, since the uh, coronavirus epidemic has really taken hold and, and, and had an economic effect, that they're down by another 30%. And so they were flagging up. So they're not saying like, we're cutting our dividend now, but they're just sort of saying, you know, this is, shape, this is knocking uh, about four, four and 5% off our asset value. And investors are worried about how strong those dividends will be going forward, which is a problem because they're actually really popular uh, alternative uh, income options for many investors. Well, that's, uh, that's what I was going to ask, actually, because, uh, I mean, if there is any threat to those dividends, that's a pretty sort of devastating blow to that sector, isn't it? Because it's, it's I mean, it, if you look at their investor base, I mean, I guess there will be some people there who are investing sort of from a principled kind of view that they want to support renewable energy. But for a lot of people, it's just, it's just about the yield, isn't it? Absolutely. They're yielding around uh, 6%, um, which is obviously really attractive. And, uh, you know, and it's worth, uh, worth stressing that, you know, they're not in trouble yet. You know, it's not like uh, they're not as exposed as, say, the equity income funds. But people are beginning to realise that perhaps, you know, there could be a, a day of reckoning because um, at the moment, you know, they've got about two thirds of their revenues are protected over the next five years with fixed term contracts. In other words, they fix the price at which they're selling their power. So that's great. The issue is what happens beyond that. So when they come to the end of these fixed terms and they need to renew them, you know, uh, if the price has fallen, then they won't be getting as much money as they originally thought. You know, it's an interesting thing. All these sort of infrastructure uh, investment companies, you know, it's all about very physical things, but actually their returns are all based on uh, assumptions and forecasts on the rates of return they're getting on their, on their money. And uh, there are numerous uh, variables, uh, which makes it a little difficult to uh, say with certainty what, what's happening. But one of the biggest variables is the long-term power price. And that is coming down because of the uh, growth in uh, renewable energy, which they are part of. So they are like cannibalizing themselves. Um, but it's also part of the fact that there is you know, a recession going on and the demand for oil and all energy is, is much lower. I guess just to sort of uh, bring this to a close, I, I guess I'd, I'd mention what I'll, what I'll be looking out for uh, in uh, well, next week, really, because we've got, 
I mean, it's a massive week uh, in terms of oil and in terms of dividends. We've got BP and Shell sort of both delivering their trading statements. Um, they've both been, they've both essentially not said anything about their dividends um, since, uh, you know, the oil prices has tumbled amid this sort of virus crisis. And um, uh, investors have kind of taken that as, you know, that, that, that's, that's evidence that they're, they're not going to cut them because they would have warned if they were going to. Um, uh, and actually, it's, it's been noticeable that, you know, when the oil price was really plunging um, on uh, Monday and Tuesday, um, shares in BP and Shell were down, but they weren't down by that much, just a fraction of, of the fall in the oil price. Um, so I think, I think they are getting a bit of, um, you know, support from, uh, from the yield uh, and investors are, I think, um, you know, believing that they're, they're still going to be able to get that, that dividend, certainly the, um, the ones that are going to be announced um, uh, or that are due to be announced uh, uh, next week. Um, uh, just one other thing I was going to mention that will be coming up next week is um, Brent crude. So we've obviously had these sort of wild gyrations in the US crude market, and that was because um, the expiry date was coming up um, uh, for that contract. Uh, well, Brent, that contract's up on um, on Thursday. So, um, you know, are we, I, I think it would be uh, highly unlikely that we'd see negative oil um, well, I say highly unlikely, but we probably would have said that a couple of weeks ago about any kind of oil. Anything um, can happen at I the mean, moment. Brent is, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the, the difference with Brent is um, because you can transport it, because you can send it on tankers, um, there isn't quite the same level of pressure in terms of if I don't sell this contract, I'm going to have to take delivery and I'm going to have to stick it somewhere. You need to stick it somewhere, but it's, it, it, it's, it's, you don't need to stick it in a storage facility that's rapidly filling up like the one in... Um, Cushing, Oklahoma. Um, but, um, you know, I'd, I never knew really when the next, um, you know, when the expiry date was for uh, the contract for futures for Brent. Now I do because of what's happened this week. Yeah, well, it does sound like it's going to be a, another pivotal week uh, for investors and, and, and the oil price. Uh, it feels that, uh, you know, investors are, uh, have got a certain amount of faith in, in, in the outcome, um, you know, whether it's uh, uh, dividends at Shell or uh, in equity income trust. But um, we'll just have to see uh, how, how, how far that uh, faith is going to be tested. But anyway, um, well, well, we'll see what happens. And I look forward to reading your piece on uh, ETFs uh, in the meantime. It'll be done soon, I promise. All right. <laughs> Cool. All right, Dan, we'll take care and we'll speak again next week.